And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 611. We are back after a little hiatus on the show. Uh, you know, I've been doing Bubba in the Bloom, doing some other things, but uh, Benched with Bubba took a little breather here. We are back. we got a lot of stuff scheduled down the line here, so we're back for a 2020 season, as you'd expect. But to get us rolling into 2024 is a, a friend of the show, a friend of mine. I got the pleasure of seeing him once again in Arizona a little over a week ago. Uh, he won the 2023 online auction championship at the NFPC, and uh, he's got his own website over there at um, DC Dynasty. He's got all kinds of great stuff there. You can find him on Twitter at Lucas Beery. Lucas, how are we doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Bubba. Thank you for having me on. Um, really excited to just talk a little bit of auction, um, talk some second half players and, and everything in between. So, yeah, fired up. Yeah, we're going to have some fun here. Uh, Lucas crushed his auction and I was picking his brain in, in Arizona because like I, I've talked about on this show before and, and Bubba the Bloom that my goal is to do at least one auction. Like I love the concept of the auction. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, talk to Lucas about strategy and whatnot there. And it, it, the beautiful thing about auctions, actually, like regular drafts is it varies from person to person. So it'll be fun to get Lucas's thoughts on this. But before we dig into that, Lucas, why don't you let everybody know about DC Dynasty and what else you got going on over there? Because I know you just did like a lessons learned or something like that recently on there. And uh, so everybody know it's a great free source out there. Yeah. So um, I have a website called dcdynasty.co. And right now I'm going to be focusing on draft champions. Um, and I'm also going to do some articles on late round starting pitchers to pick up um, or fade possibly. Um, I think I'm going to go division by division. So AL East, AL Central, et cetera. Um, so that'll kind of give me something to do for this year um, and then possibly get into some position stuff. Um, I have articles on draft champions content, um, some dynasty content. I did um, auction last year. I did some gladiator too, but I'm actually not going to be in the gladiator format this year. Um, I don't really like that. You don't get to interact with the team, but yeah, you can find some of my various content on DC dynasty. Yeah, I highly recommend checking it out, Lucas. We've had him on the show before. I think last time we had him on was too long ago, but um, we talked to uh, the not the Cardinals. It was some some team I couldn't find a home for. And Lucas helped <laughs> with D backs, maybe or it was the Rangers. Rangers. That's what. Yeah, the team that won it all. Lucas the team that helped won it all. Won it all. Go figure. Um, like <laughs> I, I hit him up because I wanted to have him on the show anyways. I'm like, hey, I need your help. I know you're 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 wise in all aspects. So I know you can fill in and help me out here. We had a blast doing that, but that was right when you were getting ready, I think, or just had started your DC Dynasty. We were kind of talking about that stuff. So um, it's been great content over there. There's an amazing waiver wire column out there. There's a lot of great waiver wire columns, a lot of them behind paywalls, a lot of them not. Lucas's is not. It's very in-depth and good stuff there. But uh, the DC stuff, Lucas is, is smart there. And I like I like the concept of doing it um, division by the division for the pitchers, especially because like I'll do mine position by position, but I think it might be even better to do divisional. Uh, situations like that but uh, i will i won't let everything behind the curtains come out but it was very funny to me because the like the running joke it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke but weirdly sadly true because i do live in the world of catchers so i get text from Lewis the other day about like uh he's at a certain part of his draft so like, hey what catchers and i'm like yeah you came to the right place so i'll, I'll help you in the the depth of dc's right here so well yeah, it's pretty fun i let catcher go which Last year, I was sometimes taking two high catchers, thinking it was a big advantage, and I'm rethinking that with the catcher pool getting so much deeper. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, around, I think maybe round 22 or so, I got Henry Davis uh, as my catcher too, but obviously he's not eligible there. So I figured I would just dumpster dive, got a hold of you, and 
I grabbed Corey Lee in like the 36th round, so I'm not excited about that, but he'll get some at-bats here and there, and we'll see what happens. He'll get at-bats, and Henry Davis, is, if you believe Coach Speak, should gain catcher eligibility for a couple weeks' time because they wanted to get back to catcher, which, you know, as the catching guy myself, I'm like, well, what's that mean for Andy Rodriguez? Because that's mm-hmm. still a young guy with potential Pittsburgh that stuff going on. Let's put it that way. But, uh, you know, this is, this is what I love about the show, and we can kind of divert around here. You mentioned – I talked about my sub stack when I put my early catcher rankings out there. There's so many ways to go about it, especially in DCs. Like James Anderson talked about it when they recapped our early first seven rounds of our early, early DC we did. And he took a couple catchers early. Some guys want to get like one good catcher and then they'll fill in the rest later. Some weight um, with the depth of catcher. I agree. Like I just, I'm doing a 50s right now. And then the 13th, the 14th round, I got Bo Naylor and um, another stud. I can't remember now. But, um, young young ball player that won't last obviously but it shows the depth of the pools where i was going with this and it shows if you have your, your plan in place you can make it work and if you kind of don't wait on catcher you maybe don't have to take four catchers late but otherwise like there's a whole strategy to it so as a dc guy that's doing dc dynasty of course um is this your first dc you're doing yeah it's my first dc i've held off a little while and uh, on the plane back or on the airport back from Arizona, I figured let's just jump into one of these puppies before the yeah. year flips. And then on Monday, uh, this, the second day of the draft, all the ADP was updated, all the positions were updated. So I'm like, well, if I had any advantage on having every position mapped out, that's gone. So, but yeah, yeah out the window. But what what are you what are you seeing so far that stands out to you? Because you're you're that was around 36 the other day, so you're probably close to done, if not done by now. Um, what are you seeing? Kind of, is there anything that stands out? Have you, you might have gone really looked deep into it yet? But uh, is there a position or a, a strategy that you might think might be better than the other so far? Um, first base is a position that in a draft champions league, I think I could have waited on a little bit more. Um, I had pick eleven, so I went with Garrett Cole in the first round, and then in the second round, there was no speed available that I felt good about, and I was debating between Austin Riley and Matt Olson went with Matt Olson because I think he'll hit more home runs, maybe more counting stats too. But then I was not able to get a guy like Justin Turner later on or Ty France in the mid 300s. So uh, first base is one of those positions. And I didn't want to fill my utility that quickly um, just because I would be totally log jammed with, with uh, Matt Olson. Um, and then filling in that, that utility too quickly would be tricky, but yeah, first base is a deep position. Outfield is another deep position, too. Um, I was able to get Alex Verdugo in the reserve rounds, which was surprising to me. And there was countless outfielders I would have been happy with, but I had already filled up so quickly. So, um, yeah, I guess just pounding uh, middle infield quickly because there's a huge drop-off with shortstops that a lot of guys acknowledge in the chat room. Um, and I'm, I'm for getting pitching early this year. A lot of people are saying because pitching was so volatile, that, you know, you can wait and get, you know, a Kyle Bradish late or, you know, maybe you can find a Grayson Rodriguez late for this coming year. I, I want to get my pitching early. So get the best of the best, get a Garrett Cole who's Mr. Consistent. So that's my approach. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, it's weird because pitching, I've, I've found myself at least trying to get a couple guys earlier, like not first round maybe, but in the first X amount of rounds, kind of be anchored down, I guess, is one way to look at it because it does – pop off into an uncomfortable world of uh like you mentioned Kyle Bradish that's when I stared at for rounds and someone else finally took him but I'm like yeah he had a great season in an amazing 2023 
can we expect that in 2024? Like that's a great, like, can he do it twice type thing? There's a lot of those questions in that, in that realm of pitching where, you know, 50, probably 50% I do pitch the same or better than 50%. You wouldn't be shocked if they just completely hit the wall again. Like it's just a really weird, weird world. Last thing I'll ask you on this, cause this wasn't part of the outline, but just out of curiosity, um, a popular topic of conversation that's going to be talked about probably on every show that I do, unfortunately, and others, all these rookie guys that were called up last year. And some people were on board with that in DCs and late rounds and it paid off great. Other ones like Matt McClain wasn't even really drafted. It was like there's certain guys that weren't even drafted in even DCs and 50 round drafts. And you're just like, wow, okay, I get it, but whatever. So now the talk is how many, how great are we in DCs this year? Now being your first DC, are you being aggressive? Are you seeing people being aggressive? Is it a thing that might still take some time to kind of unravel as you know draft season goes? Or is this just a, a one-year thing? Like, how are you looking at those young prospects that might get called up to, like, taking chances later in drafts? Yeah, so I think I think whenever it comes to prospects, I think the redraft community is very reactive based on what they just saw. So mm-hmm. last year, we had a historic crop of pitchers come up. And I found in this draft that pitching prospects have gotten really boosted up and are going really high compared to previous years. Um, in addition to that, I think the pitching prospect pool, and we got a chance to talk to some of the biggest prospect guys in first pitch. And they said that, that the uh, prospect pitching pool was drained out from last year. And a lot of the big guns were already pulled out, pulled out. So you're taking an asset higher that's at a worse quality and you're paying more for it because of recency bias. So for me, I didn't draft my first pitching prospect until uh, round 37. So there was guys that were more aggressive. Um, there were certain pitching prospects I did want, but they just went a round or two earlier than I wanted to go. Now, as far as some of the hitting prospects, there are certainly some really elite ones there. You know, Wyatt Langford, he went fairly high in this draft. Um, you know, a guy like Jackson Churio, for me, I wouldn't be surprised if he was to crack the opening day roster with a strong spring training. So there's certainly some really nice hitting prospects. Uh, but I think overall, the minor leagues was depleted a lot from last year's aggressive call-ups based on the new rules. Teams trying to get that draft pick, and they also know, hey, if this guy has an MLB-ready pitch, or if we think that he's going to provide value at the MLB level, they're calling him up. They're not wasting any bullets or service time. I agree completely. That's one of the things I've kind of mentioned with some other guys, either in person in FPAS or whatnot, is there's only so many people that can get called up. And we had so many of them called up last year. It's like, how do we expect that many to be ready again? Like, there's just It's just the way of development works. Uh, how's that going to take place? And maybe I get proven wrong, but I'm given that same set that you were talking about that we had so many called up last year. How are we possibly going to have that many called up this next year and so a guy like my that doesn't prospects that great i'm probably going to stick to my boring just beautiful and my dane dunnings of the world and just kind of <laughs> like go with it and see what happens uh not nearly as fun i get it i get it. but um that's just like my comfort zone and maybe it's a uh, it'll change someday but i was just curious to see how you were seeing that unfold because it's going to be a a wild landscape uh, going through the next few months of dcs especially to see these guys get called up. The more news you hear come out from teams about, you know, the Jack Cheerios and stuff, and people get excited for good reasons. And I'd be willing to take more hitter chances than pitching chances for, for sure, but there's going to be a lot of that to go around. So it'll be a fun talk conversation. Yeah, I kind of aside closer to you. Like I said, I waited till round 37 until I finally went with a pitching prospect because some of the top guys could possibly debut quickly, but at the same time, it's a risk. I mean, 
people probably thought Kyle Harrison, one of your boys would come up quicker than he did. And it's a risk. That's why in years past, the prospects were waited on, but now people are more aggressive than ever in my mind. Yep. hundred percent with you on that. Let's talk about auctions though. This is where Lucas shined. He's like I said, he's always been a really good fancy player. This is where he got to, to show his moxie this past year because he won the overall in the auction championship. Um, let's, let's start with the basics here. How many years have you been playing the auction championship? How many bullets did you have this last year? Um, let's talk about the basics for the NFBC auction championship. So what was this your first time? How many times have you done it? How many leagues did you have? Yeah. So my first um, experience doing an auction league um, was on Yahoo 2015 or 2016. Um, and then I jumped over to Fantrax with some of the guys from baseball 365 um, jumped over to Fantrax auctions in 2017 with Justin Hughes and played in that league for, I think three or four years. Um, and I was able to cash in that league from time to time. And, and I believe I won it too. Um, but that was a few years running. Um, and I didn't actually jump into NFBC auctions until 2022. Um, I did a team there. I just did one team. And it's funny because I grinded away at it because I had a bad auction. I did horrible, but I was able to chip away eventually over the course of the season. And I jumped into third place to get some money back, but I tied for, the, for third. And then on a stat correction, it changed the next day, which kind of was irritating, but you know, oh. it, it happens. So anyways, um, so that was last year. And then this year I did two of the online auction championship leagues. Thankfully I was able to win both of those leagues, but um, this is just my second year in this format on NFBC, but um, I've been doing auctions for years. Were you sweating the overall for a while or was it just kind of like, cause I remember I, I was thinking I was telling Bloomfield uh, before one of our shows, uh, I, I get you the weekly email. It shows like the people that are leading certain competitions. And I'm like, all of a sudden I saw Lucas's name up there and I'm like, Oh, let's go. Like it's someone I know. Let's make it happen. So how was the sweat take down the whole thing? So, and I hadn't really experienced this since I'd never been in an, in an overall mix, but based on how many teams are based on how many teams are in the competition, like with the online championship, I know that you can move like, two, three, 400 points in a day because there's so many more teams. And this one I had noticed towards the last few weeks, the guy next to me or any guys in the top five or top 10, they could really only move like a hundred points per day. At most I would move 50 and they could move 50. So it wasn't like they could catch like three or 400 points every night. Um, and going into that final weekend, I was up by like 200 points. And really I was just cheering for the other guy to do bad because that would help me out a lot too um, since third place was a ways away, but it was, it was a concern at times, but it wasn't like I was stressing out like uh, Brian Slack and Dylan white when they won the main event overall, they were, they were a lot more worried. I was, I was certainly worried, but um, I knew it would take a few miraculous days for the other guy. And that didn't happen. Thankfully. Awesome. That's great to hear. Cause I've always, I, I did hear the, about the Slack deal by talking to like Justin and Toby the, and all those guys that are hanging out with them. And it was literally even Justin, when he won his, his league, like it came down to the last at bats type situations. And it, mm -hmm. uh, you hear all these stories all the time. It's just like, man, like you talk stat corrections and this is minor, but like I went from winning a DC to tying a DC because of whatever that game was, wasn't supposed to count. And they threw it in there later on type thing. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I like, guess it's crazy. So um, I can only imagine sweating on it overall like that. Yeah. So it's gotta be kind of nice to uh, sit there and just enjoy it for a little bit. Uh, you've been doing auctions for a while. So let's have a little fun kind of, 
like I said earlier in the show, is there's many ways to do an auction. Uh, people talk star scrubs. People talk balance. People talk putting like 70% in the hitting, 30% in the pitching. So many ways to go about it. So let's talk with the basics here. Your budget is, was it like 260 in, in an 260. auction? Or yeah, 260. Yeah, that's, okay. that's, uh, that's the normal number. And when you are drafting your auction team, are you drafting like 23 and then you have reserve rounds or how does that go? Yes. Um, all the auctions I've ever done and from what I've seen, you just auction off your 23 and then you'll do a snake draft for the rest of the seven man bench. Now, uh, before we get into actual the auction part of it, when you know you're only adding, uh, you're doing 70 or 23, sorry, 23 and then you're doing seven more in a snake draft. Does that impact how you're building your team? Or is it just kind of like, we'll see how we build the team and the picks in the snake. We'll, we'll adjust there. You have a plan in place, basically. Yes, it actually, it does. It does affect things. And I actually learned this from Zach Waxman, listening to his podcast, because he's a very regular in the uh, online auction streets. So mm -hmm. if you have 15 teams in your league and you have nine pitching spots, most teams will go seven starting pitchers and two relievers. And then other teams will go with six starting pitchers and three relievers. So let's say on average, they take six and a half starting pitchers times 15 teams. Mm -hmm. You're getting down to maybe like pitcher 95 starting pitcher 95. So there can be good starting pitchers that are available, whether they're prospect stashes or they're just guys that are overlooked in the reserve rounds. So the reserve rounds are typically filled up with interesting pitchers. So that's one strategy. And that means to me that I can take a few $1 pitchers and then load up even more in the reserve rounds just to get more starting pitcher bullets for my, you know, SP seven or SP six, possibly. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, that, that's This is why we're having the show here. Um, <laughs> that's very interesting. Cause you see, I'll watch a lot of them like, Maybe some guys don't want to pay for catchers, so they're like, screw it. The reserve rounds, I'll go get my catcher too. That's an option because I've talked about it. Maybe you can stream catchers. So if that's your strategy going into it, that's a way, even though you can probably get dollar catchers and feel more comfortable before you even hit the, the bench part of things. But the, the, the pitching thing is very, very intriguing there because uh, it allows you to load up on bats, like you said, maybe get a couple elite pitchers. So that'll take me to my next point. Are you a stars and scrubs guy? Are you a balanced guy? How, how do you approach the draft room? Um, so in, it's dependent on each year. Sometimes it's different. Um, every room's different too. Um, a lot of guys will go into an auction with this sheet and they'll have their prices for a lot of the, for all the different players. And some guys will not deviate. They'll say, if this guy's a $45 player on my list and he's going for 47, I'm not touching him. Um, so I really just kind of feel out the room and you can usually tell how the prices are escalating. I lean towards stars and scrubs, but guess what? A lot of people do because people yeah. like to have first round talents on their teams. So going into this year um, for this, for this particular team that brought down the overall, my highest spin was Garrett Cole. Um, and some players are going in the high forties in the auctions and Cole only went for 35 bucks. So I went a little bit more balanced with this one, but I still purchased Garrett Cole, Bo Bichette, Raphael Devers, three guys that are top 20, ADP guys from last year. That, so I like kind, that. of, kind, of, kind of a hybrid almost in a sense. You see, yeah, you still got so many leap, but you didn't go crazy, which is mm -hmm. good because it allows you to 
get some talent later on. Like I, I picked Toast Brain, like Rob DiPietro and some other guys at FPAS because they've been doing this for a long time as well with the with the auctions. And um, they talked about that. It, the Stars Scrubs approach makes sense if you can pull it off, like if you know what scrubs you want type thing. At the same time, like kind of the way you did, where you still get some very good guys without paying a premium premium. Yes. It allows you to it allows you to lock in more stable, potentially better of the scrub tier, if that makes sense. Like just outside the scrub tier, maybe like that middle tier of really good guys that yeah, the scrub guys can be good. And if they hit their ceiling, okay, awesome. But these other guys, their floor like will smash your scrubs, if that makes sense to people out there. And that gives you a much better floor leaving the draft room is uh why for me like i'd probably be a very boring drafter uh, in this deal like i'd probably be more of a balanced guy but then again i've told guys i i I, there's certain players you love and i have a problem like spending too much and then putting myself in a hole so that leaves me like my next question is how do you price enforce how do you do you go and make like an sgp list do you how, how do you go about going okay Garrett Cole, I got for 36. I have him rated as an X amount player. I'm willing to go this high. How do you go about that with your with your player pool? Um, before I answer that, I just wanted to throw out one more quick thing. And this is just kind mm-hmm. of, this is one thing I did from the first auction on was I would see what the first round players were going for. And I would want to get one of the cheapest elite guys. So to give you an example, let's say the first round players next year are going for 45, 46, 47 bucks. If I can get Kyle Tucker for less than 40, that's an automatic value in my mind. So more of a caveman approach, not as systematic, but that's something I've been doing for years and it's worked out pretty good. I respect that. <laughs> caveman approach. <laughs> um, but as far, as far as values, um, I did something a lot different this year for my auctions. Um, I actually listened to a podcast that uh, Rob DiPietro did and he had an NFBC legend Brody Johns on and Brody Johns, he had won the, uh, the platinum auction five out of the last six years. So pretty much a legendary performance for such a high entry league. Um, and one of his biggest keys, he has many keys, but one of the takeaways I had was for each and every position, he would have four or five, six of the most perfect $1 players. So that way, he has options upon options upon options because you need to have a wide selection list of the player pool. Um, so what I did was I went through the average uh, auction value, which is available on the NFBC website. And I color coded each guy, my feelings on them, dark green or double green. If I really liked them red, if they were in a void um, and certain guys that I'd be okay with, if they came really cheap. So it's not an SGP or anything. But it was just a really thorough scrub of, of who gets auctioned. And since only 23 guys get auctioned per team, it's not like this list was, you know, 500 people long. It was like 300 some odd players. So it was pretty quick to do, actually. And that, that's a, a great point that I think I, may, I speak, maybe speaking out of my rear end here. I don't think it gets talked about enough that when we draft most these, we're talking, you know, 30 times 12, 30 times 15. Now you're doing the 23. And that like it that definitely changes the whole player pool. Now, if you're doing 260 with only 23 players, that's an average of almost eleven and a half dollars a player, given a mm-hmm. give or take. So if you start factoring in, say you take like five one dollar players, and now you have two fifty-five mm-hmm. divided by eighteen, now you're talking closer to fifteen bucks a player. And this it's just a, a way to pencil things out, I guess, which is a 
because we always just talk about, you know, these guys are worth this much and so on and so forth. But we talk roster construction redrafts all the time, like on snake drafts. Well, we should be talking roster constructions on auctions, obviously, as well. And that's the way I think to do it is walking in there. I like the point, like have five or six of your better $1 players. If I can go and get even two or three of those guys, well, that allow, allocates money elsewhere type scenario and, and changes your changes your kind of, I don't know if philosophy is the right word, but like you said, caveman approach. I I, I love the idea of just the list and, and color coding. And that's definitely something I basically do on redra- uh, snake drafts anyways. So I, I think that's very, very uh, interesting. Uh, in your you said every draft's different, you know, so some are stars and scrubs, some are balanced, so on and so forth. But in your preference, do you prefer to go like a certain percentage hitting, certain percentage pitching, or um, is it you know up for grabs? Like I, I'd imagine you have a preference, but it always changes as the draft changes. Yeah. So as far as the uh, hitter-pitcher split, um, funny enough, that's actually a number that, from listening to the best players and just kind of keeping my ear to the ground, a lot of them are saying their pitching budget needs to go up every year. Used to, you could get away with 160 bucks on hitting and a hundred dollars on pitching. Now a hundred bucks is a minimum. You're probably looking more at 120 bucks. That way you can bring in guys with more guaranteed ratios, more innings and better strikeout per inning numbers and possibly even spend up on two closers that if you come out of the draft with, you know, a $20 closer and a $15 closer, you're not as uh, in a rush and fab to go pick up that flavor of the month. So spending more on pitching is a strategy that um, I've just listened to some of the more veteran players do. And um, I've tried to allocate more and more towards pitching just to get more reliable pitching guys. And that way, don't stream off the waiver wire, which will just destroy you. And you can stream your hitters off the waiver wire, which is not going to be nearly as damaging. Yeah, I totally agree. Like that's one, one topic of conversation for the last year or so is let's just start streaming hitters instead of pitchers. Why are we so focused on streaming pitchers? Let's draft good pitchers. Uh, so I guess same makes total sense in the, in the auction strategy of things uh, to see how that goes. Now, forgive me. Were you in the auction draft at FPS? I think you were, weren't you? Uh, no, no. Uh, I was a few years ago, but Will Garofalo, oh, he was in there this year. Yeah, our boy yeah. Will. Big G. Yeah, no, I, I sat yep. in there and watched for a little bit. And um, I was watching some of the closers, and like a handful of them were going for like five to ten bucks, give or take. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, to me, that felt cheap. This is where my novice of not knowing the situation type thing. But uh, are you a fan of getting two of the, I guess, higher tier closers in an auction? Does it change between auction and redrafts for you, or is it? Uh, the same in both. Um, I keep saying redraft, snake drafts, auction. They're both redrafts, but yeah. On paper, it sounds really good, and I'm sure it could be done. But on the team that won it this year, I had a $17 Ryan Presley, which was perfect. He did the job, mm-hmm. didn't get hurt, and then I got a. And then what really helped was a $4 Paul Seawald, and it's funny because I really yeah. wasn't. I wasn't even that excited about it. Uh, Because Munoz was kind of going to split with him, if not take over the role. And I just figured at four bucks, I was like, let's give it a chance. Ratios and he'll give me a start to the season until I can find something better. So I think, I think it's good to get the one, the one closer with the job and then hope to get lucky with it, with another cheap guy, just because you can't have everything. You need to know exactly where to skimp 
and you need to be able to get lucky some places and save money. And I think on that, like one to $5 closer, um, if you can figure out who that guy is, that's going to set you up really good. Nice. Um, when it comes to nominating players, now this is a, a fun one because I've heard people say nominate guy that people are going to love. So they go and spend money. So I don't have to worry about it. And this other guy is like, well, I want to nominate guys I want. Cause if I somehow get stuck with them, I want to make sure I have them type scenario. <laughs> um, how do you, how do you go about your nominating process? Because um, it seems simple, but there's obviously a science behind it. Yes, there's absolutely a science behind it. And I think no matter what you do with your nomination, there's many ways you can use your nomination, but you need to get some sort of information somehow. No closers have gone off the board. Let's throw Josh Hader out there, see what the top dog goes for. And if you like the price, get in. But you can at least say, well, if he went for 26 bucks, if I can get another elite closer for 22 or 23, I can live with that. Or let's say that, you know, you've got one or two A starting pitchers and there's only two or three left that are elite. Well, if you want to see some money fly off the board and other people are getting worried about their starters, you can put that guy out there and just kind of get rid of what's left in the tier. Uh, one other thing I like to do is any of the high buzz players like a Matt McLean or a Noel V. Marte, if you throw those guys out there, they're going to get money off the board as well. So um, some people think that that's a bad idea because they think that that money is going to come off the board no matter what. But in my mind, I'd rather get those big buzz guys off the board before the budgets are diminished because halfway through when the when the uh, budgets start to get lower, uh, that's when the values and the cheaper players come across. So I want to get the big buzz guys out early, get that money spent, and go from there. I love that. I love that strategy because, yeah, later on, then you can get some guys that maybe went for 22 bucks, but since the money's gone, go get them for 18 or something. And that that's definite value and can start saving that cash left and right and now you're not spending dollars at the end you get two dollars you get the guys you want because you've got two dollars and everyone only has a dollar so on and so forth it's definitely a a a strategy involved there um obviously you said you you won both your leagues this is your first time in an overall competition so when you're i'm assuming when you're drafting you're just drafting to win your league or were you drafting purposely for an overall yeah um did not think about the overall at all because just based on the odds, it was low. Um, but I just wanted to, and I, and I'm a veteran drafter. I want to draft for, for a high floor. I want to mitigate the risk. So I'm not thinking I'm going to go for the overall. Obviously I knew it was a possibility, even though it would be a long shot. And, um, I was just playing at my team and looked in the middle of the summer and actually funny enough, somebody was like, dude, I'm cheering for you at the, at the, uh, or I see what you're doing in the auction overall. I'm like, Holy shit. I looked, it was like late <laughs> July. I'm like, man, I should have been paying much closer attention to this. Um, and, and then since then I started micromanaging it as much as I could. Um, but yeah, I was just trying to win the league and, and really everything just kind of came together as far as some luck and put myself in a good position at times, but it was just bad things didn't really happen. And I got lucky a whole bunch and a few other players hit. So it was no secret recipe per se. It was just good fortune across the board I, I love how you say that because people always say you know you gotta be super skilled to win and there's definitely like you are very super skilled to win a lot of the guys brian slack and, and dylan white very super skilled to win but you also said the other part there we still have to get lucky it's a six-month yes. season we have to avoid injuries like the fact you admit that a lot of guys like i think they cringe when they say that stuff 
it's re it's just being realistic here. Like if you yes. avoided the injuries, you you know, you struck gold on a guy that was many people liked but didn't think he'd be that good. Like there's just certain things that um like the year Vlad finally erupted and you were on like people were on Vlad, that's great. But has he done it since? No, but you're on him that year and he probably helped you win. Like it's little things like that. And when you're on the right people, you avoid the injuries. So the fact you admitted it, I, I appreciate because not enough people say they hear the word luck and they think it's like a, a negative connotation and it's not. It's just you ran pure is the way I look at it. And that's, I, that's, I ran how you, that's how you that's how you hit the overalls. That's just the big like you can win leagues without running pure, but to win an overall, you definitely have to to do that. So you said you you noticed in about July or something when a friend uh, hit up on and you started uh, micromanaging it more. Obviously, you won it all, so I'm not gonna say it hurts you. But do you think you would have been just fine if you didn't micromanage it? Do you think it's, uh, it benefited you a lot? Like, because I know some guys you listen to, like the Robs and all those guys that play in mini leagues, main event leagues, all that stuff. They hardcore on like every week, look at the overall numbers, doing all these things that just I don't know if my brain can wrap my head around half the stuff they talk about. Um, do you think it benefited you, and maybe it's a trait you'll continue on now to micromanage it the way you did? Um, I think you need to start micromanaging at a point, but I was still putting out my absolute best lineups. I was getting as much playing time as possible. Um, saves was one thing I needed. So I needed to get my saves. That's not a bad thing to have to catch up in. Cause you can just change your SPRP split. No big deal. If you can find the saves. Um, and also steals is another thing I needed, which was tough for me because some of the steals guys are just not very good players. So it's uncomfortable for me to put them in like an Alex young from the Washington nationals. You know, he might have a decent career, but he's not as good of a hitter as some of the other guys that you can put in there that are going to be home run guys. Um, or just, just looking at the WRC plus, if you look at that for steals guys, it's, it's going to be worse than the other players. But um, yeah, at a point you need to start micromanaging it, but um you can wait a little while for everything to, cause you still need to build your base really good. And then come the last two months, maybe last three months, if you want to go in July, then that's when you need to hone in, look at each category and figure out where you can move up. Yeah. That's why I was wondering. Cause I'm again, not the guy to, to, to micromanage and discuss micromanaging, but I feel like you got to let the team breathe for a few months before you start mm-hmm. really letting it go. And, I just feel like sometimes I wonder if it's some are over managed potentially. <laughs> it's where like I love Mike Curlin. I don't know if you listen to the show, but we watched Curlin's saga last year. He was on my show most Mondays and he was micromanaging out the gate. And so most of the time it worked really well. Other times it backfired on him. And it makes me just wonder if, you know, the wait and see approach for at least a little while is a good thing. But that's a conundrum year to year. It can be different. Uh, you mentioned stolen bases are tough to get later on, saves you can get. Going back to when you auction your team. Are you, since you have the ability to get who you want, are you more category dependent, like uh, focused on certain p- categories? Then obviously in a snake draft, you still want to be balanced or get, you know, you know, X amount of steals and everything. But are you more aggressive in an auction to go and get maybe a high heels guy, um, other type scenarios like that? Yeah, I, I am more aggressive to get my steals because you have your pick of the litter. If you have a particular exactly. steals guy, if you have your particular steals guy that you like, um, Kyle Tucker, let's say that you think he's kind of just no warts, good batting average, great home run potential. You can go ahead and get him and you don't have to be in that second round. Kind of like I was saying with my DC where 
you don't feel good about any steals guys. And then you reach for an Ellie De La Cruz. If you think he's a reach at that turn in the first, second round. So yeah, you can be a lot more uh, choosy with your steals guys in the auction. Love it. Um, fab, you know, we talked about fab and in, in all formats it's covered, you know, the Rotowire guys do a great job recapping the main event fab. We talk about main event and 12 team fab on my Monday shows. Uh, we, no one really talks about auction league fab and obviously fab is fab at the same time. League dependency is different. Do you see anything, you know, we talk about 12s and 15s being crazily different. Do so you see a difference in the auction leagues? Cause you, if people are drafting maybe so many stars and scrubs or whatever, fab might be a little different. So how do you see the fab usually playing out on average on a week to week? So is it surprising to you? I should say. Um, and, and I said this in first pitch when, when Vlad kind of, uh, asked me to chime in a little bit on the auction, but I did a main event this year and I did two of the online auctions in the main event every single week, pretty much guaranteed. It was 40 transactions, maybe 50 transactions in this league. It was more like 20, 25, 30 for a while. And then it was like 20 and then it was 15. So the online auctions kind of die out as far as activity. And you see that in the OCs as well, a format you do a lot. Um, So yeah. I guess that's really the only difference. Otherwise, it's still 23 active, seven reserves, NFBC, no IL. Everything else is the same. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds a lot like those 12-team OCs. Just kind of like everyone's there and then interest and everything else starts dwindling. And that brings <laughs> back now to the strategy of bidding on your teams is if you're in it in the end, you can start guys for cheaper, and that's how you can get those saves and everything you're talking about. So goes back to even draft day drafting with that mindset potentially and going in there um before we wrap up this kind of auction discussion is there any other takeaways or things you like to any any pieces of wisdom you like to in, in instill to the listeners yeah so you had you had kind of mentioned that i i noted that there was a lot of luck that was involved but in all honesty there there was luck um no team that wins the overall is going to be unlucky. Let's think about it in reverse. Um, so just kind of coming out of the auction table, if I didn't get Corbin Carroll for 24 bucks and I did Ooh. over 20, I did over, I did over 20 leagues, Bubba. And I only got Corbin Carroll in two leagues. So he was a guy that I was interested in, but he wasn't a huge number one target for me because he was not cheap. Um, so that was kind of like, yeah, the overall team's going to have a Corbin Carroll. You know, it's going to have a guy like Josh Jung for six bucks, Josh Naylor for six bucks. Um, and, you know, a, a few other pickups along the way as far as hitting, but really the pitching is what set it apart with Garrett Cole for 35 bucks, Aaron Nola for 30 bucks. I thought getting those two guys would just give me a leg up on every team in the league for strikeouts. Um, but, but what really set it apart was getting lucky again on a guy like with Freddie Peralta for $9 and Nate Uvalde for $5. Cause I had Beautiful. Peralta and Uvalde in both of the auctions. Those were two of my targets. Um, and then kind of in the, uh, in the fab wire, getting Bobby Miller, Tarek Skubal and Cole Reagans down the stretch. There was Ooh. some luck that was, there was some <laughs> luck that was involved there. So I'm just saying, yeah. you know, you build yourself a nice, uh, solid team out of the auction but you need to get lucky along the way because kind of like a DFS mindset, somebody else is going to get lucky or come reaching that most pure outcome. So um, yeah, you need, you need to build yourself a solid base, but you also need to find some good fortune along the way too. 
So when are you getting your Corbin Carroll jersey or something? Because twenty four <laughs> bucks, twenty four bucks for Corbin Carroll. My goodness, like we will never see. Well, I'll never say never. We won't see that again for probably fifteen to twenty years with Corbin yeah. Carroll. Like that's a price tag. It's it, like you know the the current guy. Like that's like McCutcheon. He was an MVP. Probably paid thirty something dollars for for a couple of years or whatever. But now for like six bucks. Um, it's gonna be a long time until we see Corbin Carroll kind of take a, a dip again. That's that's wild. So. Yeah, it was. It's just one of those things where you kind of look at it, and there was some there was some good strategy builds, but at the same time, man, you got to get some serious luck along the way because there's yeah. 840 teams in this contest. So yeah, um, I guess the last thing I'll ask then is what is next for Lucas when it comes to auction? Just sticking this one, are you going to move up uh, since you have a little extra scratch in that account? <laughs> are you moving up to uh, one of the higher tiered auctions? Or are you going to hang out with? people like myself spend 50 and, uh, and auction things off again. Um, so on the, on the uh, NFBC, of course they have the big dog, $1,500 Vegas auction championship. I'm not going to be going in any live events this year, unfortunately. Okay. So I'm not going to be in part of that, but they have the 150, the 250 and the 500. I might just join that 250. Um, yep. Or I might just stick in the one fifties. I love this format because it's, it's a good, it's a good mix because it's funny. If we were to talk about some of the other guys on my roster, you would laugh at how disastrous they were. Seriously. That's the beauty of auctions, man. That's why <laughs> this is why it intrigues. It's why it intrigues me so much because you know, you leave a snake draft. You're at the mercy of the drafter and the mercy of your draft pick. You walk out trying to justify things because that's where your draft pick was. That's what you yes. had to do. Where the auction, like you can literally, like you say, you get those, your targets, you got your targets, but of course you had to get some other guys to fill out your roster that you're already probably thinking, God, that sucks. I want nothing to do with them. They're going to be dropped soon. So that's the beauty of the auction is it's it's a totally different beast. Yeah. I mean, it's to think that I actually wanted, you know, to get an Austin Meadows for three bucks or a Mitch Hanniger for four bucks. I mean, it's it's humbling when you look at this stuff too. So, <laughs> you know, can't get too high, can't get too low, I guess. But, uh, yeah. You and Farhan Zahidi have a lot in common then when it comes to Mitch Hanager. So <laughs> and, and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy wasting money on that guy. But it worked out well for you. If the Giants would have won the World Series, we'd be talking about the same thing. But you, you pulled it off. They did not. Um, that's the difference between the two. But all right. Well, then I'll see you in the auction streets. We'll have some fun with that. Hell yeah. Um, Let's talk about some second half standouts. And this is kind of a, it's a total shift from what we just talked about. We had some strategy talk. It's fun. But you've done a DC. I've done one DC so long ago I can't remember where I gotten it. But I'm in an FPC 50 right now. We have ADP out. Um, I just pulled it up. There have been 12 completed draft champions leagues, so we have that for those keeping track at home. 15 team uh, league, you draft 50 players, no fab throughout the season type thing, and it's how our, us degenerates get going for the 2024 season. Um, we're talking about some players that, that had really good second halves. Look at their current ADP and kind of give our thoughts on yes, no, maybe so type scenarios. So we're going to kick things off here with one Zach Geloff. And Geloff, we all know, I'm a huge fan of because I picked him up everywhere last year and he had a, a great second half of the season for the Oakland Athletics, second baseman. He has an ADP of 133 right now, Lucas. And this is a guy that we saw, you know, plate discipline, maybe a bit of an issue. But the power speed can't be denied. And in 69 yeah. games, 14 homers, 14 steals. Like that obviously projects out pretty well. So what are your thoughts on Zach Gell off the second half and going into this year with an ADP of 133? 
you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I just want to mention this from the outset. Um, we talked about the redraft communities kind of anticipation of prospects or how they react to them. And I'm sure you remember, uh, this was a huge debate, whether you wanted Geloff or Soderstrom coming up and Soderstrom yeah. went in the five hundreds in my DC. So, you know, it kind of shows you that we're making our best guesses. Um, but as far as Geloff goes, you mentioned his, his strikeouts. I think that's going to be highly publicized negatively about him. And I, and I get that it is, it is a concern, but I have his ADP here and I pulled it. I pulled these ADPs yesterday at about 137. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a player with, with a very high pull rate of almost 50%. He's got a 47% pull rate. Um, and as far as, as far as barrel rate, 11% barrel rate, that's perfectly solid to produce 25, 30 home run power. And for steals, he's a high steals player that I would project for a 2020 floor average is a liability, but some guys, uh, um, like, um, the guild is a good example. He mentions that batting average, you can have a 220 to a 260 range. If Geloff hits 250 next year, you're doing cartwheels. That didn't hurt you. Mm-hmm. That was neutral. So if you have a 2020 floor with upside for more and maybe a, a 240, 250 average with a floor of 220, um, he's going to have everyday playing time in Oakland. I'm not too worried about the park because he showed in at least one half of baseball that he can crank it out of there and, yeah, he's a guy I'm interested in. I, I think that's a very fair ADP. I'm not sure if I would call him a target, but he, he's a guy that I think is perfectly fine there. Yep, I'm with you. I grabbed him in my current NFBC 50. It wasn't a target of mine either, but he kind of fell. I jumped on him. Um, I believe that the 2020 upside, like you said, 250. A lot of these young guys, it's a different era of baseball, so like strikeout rates don't bother me as much. I'm, I do look at plate discipline. Like I just don't want some guy going crazy up there. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but you know we saw what he did last year. I'm still a fan of, of what we got, so I'm in on Geloff. We'll see how how it pans out. But yeah, ADP of 133, I think, is more than fair for that 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 town level. This next one, I can't wait to hear your answer because everybody knows my thoughts on Nolan Jones. <laughs> Huge Nolan Jones fan. I actually took him in, in round four of my NFC fit right now. Um, he has an ADP of around 60 in, in DCs these days. The guy went 2020 in 100 games last year by hitting 297. So, obviously, if you want to project things out, could be a 30 30 guy potentially if things start clicking. Could also fall back because of the strike rates. When you look at Nolan Jones, what are your thoughts? Because I know I'm I'm very optimistic, and some are very very pessimistic about Nolan Jones. So where you land in the debate? Yeah, like like you'll see a lot of my takes. I'm pretty much in between. I mean, I see why some would take him, um, but for me. 30% strikeout rate just based on the caveman analytics. That is kind of a number that does give me some concern. And he's actually right around that number. And in the minor leagues, he's been higher than that. Um, but on the positive, a 16% barrel rate is very eye popping. So I understand why the drafters are, are so excited about him. Um, I think as far as volume goes, he is going to reach 2020. Um, but my concern is, is that his ratio stats of his average are going to come crashing down. I would I would probably project more of a 260 average. Um, so yeah, he's probably not a guy that I'm going to be taking in any drafts. But just kind of looking at him, contact skills. I think you know coming into this year, he was a nice bonus for the Rockies in the middle of the year. But for next year, I think there's going to be much more of a game plan against him, since 
he's projected to be their best hitter. So I think he's going to be more of a yeah. focal point. True. So the scouting report is going to be more in depth in my mind. And one other note that I found that was kind of shocking was he had an uh, 898 OPS against left-handed pitchers. Um, and I just don't think that that repeats next year. So it's going to drop the whole uh, average and OPS line in my mind. Great points. That's why I said it's a, he's a, he is a polarizing guy already this season. So we'll see where that lands. He's gone as high as pick 33, as low as 111. But 111 was in our draft did back in August. So take that with a grain of salt. So uh, he's pretty decent draft points here. James Outman, this is a fun one. High expectations last year. You mentioned Vlad Sedler. He loved Outman. It started out amazing, disappeared in the middle of the season, finished pretty good, though. So all things considered, not a complete disastrous season, finished 83 and 16. But the second half was very big for James Outman. I got him back in the root, the, the conversation. ADP of around 180. Uh, what's your thoughts on James Outman? Because I have uh, mixed thoughts on him as well. Yeah, so so James Outman is a player that I kind of got introduced to in the Arizona Fall League a few years ago, and he just stood out as like a beast of an athlete, looked like a, a slender just stud, and was very tall, muscular, and just kind of popped off the page, um, and he really wasn't a prospect uh, coming up. He was a seventh rounder in 2018, um, and this year, he was amazing in his in his first full season. The 32% K rate, I agree, is a concern, but he's a he's a high OBP guy like Nolan Jones. Um, I think the difference in the draft cost, though, has me more okay with Outman since it's a 120-pick difference for his ADP. Um, so in my mind, he's a potential 2020 guy, has a great barrel rate, uh, and he's going to be part of a nice uh, loaded LA lineup. This may not make people feel great, but uh, funny enough, another guy that's on the rundown later on, this profile reminds me of a Max Kepler with steals. Yeah. So to get that around, to get that around 180, that'll pay the bills if he can, uh, if he can repeat his season. And I didn't do this on purpose because I made this outline over a week ago, and I started my draft this past weekend. But the first three players all are on my NPC 50 team. So it's it's and there's another guy coming up here, a catcher, which is also on my team. So I've looked this going, huh. Maybe I'm buying in the second half too much. We'll wait and see. But uh, I agree with what you're saying. That the only concern I guess I really have with Outman, which I think it will earn itself out, is playing time in LA because that was kind of the problem last year. But it was there in bulk at the end of the season, even against lefties. And that's kind of the takeaway. I was like, okay, they want to see what he got with it. He produced. Let's roll. That's kind of my thing. Plus, they're going to be losing some more players this year, and we'll see how it goes. But um, I'm with you. If he can stick around and play pretty much every day, this ADP is pretty generous in my opinion. So uh, I'm, I'm liking it quite a bit. Yeah, I think, and I had the playing time noted here as, as a possible thing to think about, but um, if you had a Josh Lowe, yeah, true. you never pulled him. I mean, some guys get to that level where if they can just have the upside for a home run or a steal on a high level each day, you just leave them in your lineup and you don't worry about finagling it too much. But yeah, it is certainly a, uh, a consideration. 100%. Let's go to Chicago. Seiya Suzuki, highly anticipated going into last year. Got, I believe it was an oblique injury uh, early on or a groin injury. So he's mm -hmm. kind of missed a little time to start out with. You could tell he wasn't completely all there to start out. But when he got healthy, and then the second half of the season produced really well, finished with 20 homers, six stolen bases. And now he has an ADP of around 120, 125, somewhere in that realm uh, in DC's. 
he's still a guy that I can't go all in on, even though I can see the talents there. What are you looking at when you see Seiya Suzuki? Yeah, so with Suzuki, um, Matt Heckman, a great Twitter follow if you don't follow him already. If you're listening to a fantasy baseball podcast in November, though, you're probably following the guy because he does good work. But he uh, he noted time after time, Suzuki's going to catch up to his underlying metrics. You're going to get the stats. And I was like, man, I hope you're right because, you know, he's one of those guys where when you're eating all that bad production, it just feels horrible unless it, you, you get it back later on. Um, and in the second half, he was an absolute beast. From July 4th on, he had a 949 OPS. If you look at all of his just statistics, K rate, walk rate, isolated slugging, WRC plus, max EV, hard hit rate, all of them went up at the same time. Didn't sell out for power. In my mind, this guy is an all-around hitter, a guy that you can pencil in for 25 home runs, 15 steals, and a 270, maybe even a 280 batting average, hitting third or fourth for the Cubs. I think this is a great ADP and kind of reminds me a little bit of a Brian Reynolds where he gives every category, some a little bit more modest than others, but he gives you something everywhere. I like that. I like that comp of Reynolds quite a bit, actually. Makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, that's the thing with say. Like, once he got healthy, you see it all, and I'm like, okay, I should really like this guy. What's stopping me? So maybe I'll have to dig in some more on that, and that's why we're doing this in November to see <laughs> what we can uh, navigate the minefields on. Let's talk Max Kepler. You just mentioned him with the James Outman minus the steals is Max Kepler, and this is why it's a fun one because Kepler, guy, like every year, you kind of like, okay, late round value outfielder, like one year in 2019, it's 36 bombs. It was 19 and 10 and 21. Like, we're just fluctuated. Like, everything fluctuates with him every season, except his on base percentage is usually pretty solid. That's a, that's a given. This last year, he hit 260 with 24 home runs. A lot of that came in the second half of the season when he got healthy. Uh, he let off a ton for the Twins, which was beautiful. And what's really intriguing of why I like him on this list, an ADP around 290. So what's your take on Max Kepler? Because year in and year out, like I said, I started it off. He's like a late round. Let's see if we need an outfielder dark type guy. Well, he's sitting there at 290 right now. So what's your thoughts on Max Kepler? So this kind of goes back to our previous conversation. I couldn't think of any on the spot, but so many outfielders went late. This guy went in the 23rd round of my DC. I filled up an outfield too early because I would have taken that in a heartbeat. I just didn't need it. Um, But as far as Kepler, you had mentioned he hit 36 home runs back in 2019. I think just hearing that out loud for some players to get reminded of that is just like, holy hell, just because that's such a big number for a guy like this. But, you know, you know what you're getting with him. You, you put him into your lineup. If he's facing one lefty or fewer, if he's facing two lefties or more on NFBC, you pretty much sit him. Um, I think he's likely to be like a 240, 250 average because just the way his batted ball approach is, he's, he's a pull heavy guy. Um, and he's a fly ball kind of guy where he's just not going to have a good average. But if you want like 20 home runs with 60, 60 runs in RBIs, um, I think that that's a possibility. Uh, there's no steals upside though. So that's why he's going so late, but I think he's fairly, uh, I hate to say reliable, but I, I think you're not going to get burned if you pick him. Yep. I think you're going to get around 20 homers. He's going to lead off score around 70-ish runs. You know, he's going to do his thing. He almost like yes. steals. If he gets you five steals, you're over the moon. The plan yeah. on probably zero, like, type thing. The one thing I'll mention for those that are probably, like, throwing things at their radios right now or earphones, 
2019 was the bouncy ball year. We're all aware of that. So that probably yeah. had something to do with, with 36 homers. But still, when you make a jump that high, it stands out. He's a big guy, massive pull power. So that's another guy to think about. But he's definitely a late-round guy that I'd be all about having. Because people love Jack Sawinski. He's like 100 picks earlier or like 80 picks earlier. To me, like Jack runs more, but very similar mindsets also. So something to think of there. Chas McCormick, this is a fun one. He did it in 115 games last year when guys were injured. He played every day. He finished it in 273, 22 homers and 19 steals and 70 RBIs. Big second half going into the postseason for Chas McCormick. Um, ADP of around 165 to 170. Looks like he should be the everyday guy, I'll say. You never know because Dusty doesn't, he's not there anymore to play his play as veteran. So we got that going for us. But what's your thoughts on Chaz McCormick? Because he's a guy that the skill sets were pretty darn close to elite at times last year. Playing time was not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. His playing time occasionally was kind of messed with, but he was another leave-it-in-there guy in 15-team leagues because what else are you going to do? Put in Alex Call from the waiver wire. So he was kind of a guy where I just left him in because you just don't want to overthink it. Um, But, yeah, with McCormick, he's a guy that increased his pull percentage 10 percentage points from the previous year from 34 to 44%. And he used to go opposite field in 2022, 30% of the time. He reduced that down to only 23%. So he changed his swing approach. He's always been a 10% or higher barrel rate guy. Um, You know, he's going to throw in 15, 20 steals for you uh, since he's still in the prime of his career. And he's a combo guy. And one thing that I thought was interesting, because I've kind of been a little bit of a Chas McCormick guy in DC's, past few years just because he's been so cheap and he was getting regular at bats and produced pretty decent. If you look at this year, he was a 133 WRC plus, but if you combine 2021 and 2022, he was a 111 WRC plus then too. So it's not like he just became a good hitter. He's always been pretty good. Um, I just think he got more playing time. Uh, and with Dusty being gone, I foresee even more. My question for you with Chaz having about a 165 ADP, he's about 15 picks ahead of Outman. Which one would you rather have? Oof. Um, you know, I feel Outman's the better call. I just think there's more upside with him. Um, he's a few years younger. You're getting the benefits of the Dodgers development, although the Astros development's elite too. So that's not, that's kind of a wash there. But yeah, Outman just feels like he has more of a chance to go. 30-20 than uh, McCormick. Seems more of a, a high-end compiler. Yep. Uh, I think it's a very interesting debate. That's uh, I'm, that's one yes. to be fun to talk about this time next yeah. year. That's uh, a tough lot, one. A lot of, lot of similarities there. Uh, Bo Naylor, uh, another guy that's on my NPC 50 team. I'm big on Bo Naylor this year. Love the way he finished the second half of the year. Um, once the Guardians decided to play him every day, he produced in his 67 games with them, 11 homers, 5 steals, hit 237. Plate display elite. For me, for a young player, it's surprising. ADP of 165-ish, give or take. What are your thoughts on Bo Naylor? Because, like I said, I'm a believer in what I saw. I think this ADP should climb, but catchers are also deeper, so maybe not. But uh, what's your thoughts on Bo Naylor? Yeah, guys like guys like Bo Naylor are why I'm trying to wait on catcher. So I can hopefully get yeah. this guy at a discount. I could see easy top six, top seven catcher. Um, and maybe more if he can figure out to run more. That was one thing that was slightly um, not the greatest was he stole 20 bases in 2022, but then last year he only stole seven bases. 
Uh, and that was actually over 500 plate appearances in each season. So it was similar, but kind of like you said, elite walk rate. So that's going to give you more runs than most catchers. It's going to give you more chances to steal. Uh, K percentage is very reasonable. He was sub 20% K percentage in some seasons throughout the minor leagues. So that's excellent. So I potentially see an upside for 20 home runs, 10 to 15 steals for Naylor. So it's kind of like a Dalton Varsho package with a little bit of a better hit tool and more OBP. Yeah, I love the Varsho comp. That's literally a note I have of something I'm writing these days is this could be your next <laughs> Dalton Varsho. And he shouldn't lose catcher eligibility anytime soon. So it'll be no. good to see either. I think there's a lot of similarities between those two players. So uh, get him while you can on the cheap. Let's put it that way. Yeah, with um, with, uh, with Naylor, and I know you know this being the catcher kind of guy, sometimes you look at a catcher, like Ryan Jeffers is a good example. You pull him up, you look at him, you're like, well, this is pretty good for a catcher. Bo Naylor, you don't need to put for a catcher. He could be, you know, exactly. an outfielder or a second baseman. You're like, this is just pretty good. And you get catcher yeah, and, eligibility. And that's a great point. That's why I kind of like circling him and a few other guys in like the certain range going, okay, if I can wait at this guy – I'm not dra- like I'm drafting a player for my team. I'm not yes. forcing myself to take one of my two catchers. That's a great way of putting it because like there, there's a section of catchers you're like, okay, this just sucks. I need to fill my spot. Like Nick Fortes was hot for two weeks. Great, let's go with this. <laughs> but like you mentioned, even you mentioned like even Ryan Jeffers, a great stream for like the last couple months of the season. Dude was a beast. And he was hitting in the middle of that twins order, and no one probably even knew who like most non diehard players like you said people listening to podcasts in november knew who ryan jeffers was yes but other ones uh, other people that tune in in like march you're ready for their first draft of the year they probably still don't know what ryan jeffers did last year it's like (laughs) as a shock to them and don't realize he's the starting catcher for minnesota for now he could do it again and it makes it very and they'll see the adp and go why is he here and well he kind of earned it if he's going to continue to be the middle of the order guy for the twins and uh it's funny stuff like that before we get to the next hitter here, we have a, a guest in the chat here. Yancey Eaton says, why didn't one of us win our main event league, Lucas? So disappointed in us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. We had a, we had a fun battle. Uh, Yancey, he, uh, he partnered up with good old Sammy Reed, and those guys were tough. But it was, it, was a fun, it was a fun main event league. It certainly was – it was my first time doing the main. And, man, if your pitcher gets blown up, it just kind of ruins your whole mood for the night. Or, you know, if you somehow get lucky and get, you know, seven or eight home runs – feels 10 times better so it's a fun format yeah no doubt about it uh, i talked to sammy once in a while it was pretty uh pretty fun listening to the conversations in that league I, you guys had a fun one there which is always a yeah. plus when you're playing fantasy uh brian hayes this is a good one and he's going to pick right after bo naylor right now according to adp uh ndc's around 165 170 or somewhere in there but when you look at first half, second half splits, this is why we're doing this. I should probably focus more on second half because that's the point of this. But the list was made based on second half production. Like Brian's a lot of injuries. Seems a you know repetitive, you know evergreen tweet as you say. <laughs> um, but in the second half of the season, once Brian got healthy, two ninety nine ash, ten of his fifteen home runs, only one steal compared to nine steals in the first half. So he stopped stealing bags, but hit with more power. We saw the elevation on the whole change. It was it started to show signs of what many have hoped for for so long. So what are your thoughts on Brian Hayes? Are we, uh, are we buying on what we saw in the second half going into 2024? Or was this like, I still need to see more because he's always hurt. We don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. So it's funny with Brian Hayes. I've, I've kind of rostered him since he was a prospect uh, for triple a Indy kind of a local team to me. And it's been tricky because 
you've seen it in spurts. I think he's one of the definitive guys where he'll have a nice run and then he'll get hurt or, you know, he'll hit 230 with four home runs for a half a season. So to see this, this monster second half is enough for me to buy in. Um, and it's, and it's because he's burned us a few times. So he's affordable. Um, I actually put him on my DC in the 13th round, um, close to pick 200. So for a guy that, um, possibly could give you 15 to 18 home runs, um, possibly could give you maybe 16 to 25 steals with a 270 average, just an all totality. It's going to come together where it could just be a nice solid line. Maybe not that superstar that we wanted a few years ago, but there's enough flashes in here for me to still go for it. And that elite defense will, will allow him to get as many plate appearances as he can handle. Yeah, I agree. I'm very, very intrigued. It's a guy I've been in and out on over the last few years. Like the price tag seems pretty good, especially for the yeah. base position, which has talent, but we always talk about it drops off a cliff at a certain point. Look, Brian is least in the conversation now which is very, very good to see. If he can stay healthy, it's the old thing. If he can just stay healthy, that would be a, a beautiful situation to be a part of. Uh, a handful more here. You mentioned Josh Lowe earlier. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a darling of many on a Twitter, Vlad and Ben Ted and other guys. Love Josh Lowe. Start of the season, great. Hiccups in the middle. Kind of a James Outman feel, honestly. Yeah. But uh, second half of the year for Josh Lowe, hit 311, eight of his 20 home runs, stole 13 of his 32 bags. So that's a 20-32 season with a great batting average. Um, his ADP is around 75-ish. He's doing 120 picks ahead of his brother. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, what's your thoughts on Josh Lowe during this season? Because it feels like the normal Tampa Bay platoon might be going away for him. Yeah. Um, he did play against – a few righties here and there towards the end of the year. Um, so that was, that was at least beneficial to see. And, you know, he doesn't need to play against every single righty or every single lefty, excuse me, but it would be nice as much as possible. But I would say going from, you know, mid thirties K rate to around 25% K rate, amping up the power 11% barrel rate, 30 steals. I mean, he's an elite athlete. He's going to be able to, he's going to be able to be in the lineup every day defensively if they're willing to trust his bat against those lefties. So um, his, his ADP around 75 initially was kind of, I don't know, but the more I dug into it, the more I'm okay with it. Um, it is tough yeah. though. To, it is tough though, to take a guy in the first five or six rounds that may not play every day. Um, so that's the only hesitation, but as far as the skills, I, I think this guy's a stud and yeah, I think I'm going to have a few shares where I can here and there. Yeah, that's the you just nailed the part that's still kind of tough for me is the uh, mm-hmm. guy not playing every day situation. How do we do it? But man, he's a stud, so it's kind of maybe suck it up and go thing. We'll have to kind of see how the draft season goes along for uh, Mr. Josh Lowe. Yeah, Tristan Costas, he's a very popular name on the streets these days. And that's because how he finished his season. The second half of Costas was amazing 317, 15 home runs. Uh, even drove in 38, which was great, but. You know, you dig into even more numbers. It, it, it's just nuts. You look at his slugging, 617, OPS over 1,000, ISO of 300, WRC plus at 174 in the second half, ADP around 112. Are you what, – what's your thoughts on Costas? Still comes in a bubble of really good proven first baseman. So you have to kind of decide, do you believe and want to take the chance on the next step with Costas, or do you take kind of the boring, more proven commodity? That's a good question because – 
I have his ADP noted here at 107, which that's in range where I would be able to do it. Um, there's just other players that I just think are, are better players that are going after him, like Josh Naylor. Mm-hmm. I just think he's going to outproduce him, and you can get him cheaper, about 30 picks cheaper, in fact. Um, so that's one of my holdups, but you're not guaranteed to get Naylor, so sometimes it might make sense to, to throw a, a Tristan Costa share in from time to time. Um, I would think you're looking at a, a 30 home run guy with a 250 average. Um, it might be hard for him to get 100 and 100 runs in RBIs because I think he will play against most lefties to give him the development time. But if, if he needs to get a day off, it'll come against those lefties. Um, so I'm not in love with this price tag, but I could see doing it from time to time. His first and second half skills were, were pretty similar, funny enough. So I think he kind of had some bad luck in the first half and then fortunes kind of found his way in the second half. That's a great point uh, that he was that skill based the same. So now can he, can he, uh, can the luck go for a full season? I guess is the question. Uh, the, can the skills produce for a full season? And that'll be interesting to see. Cause yeah, like guys like Goldschmidt are going close to, to Casas, who's boring, but proven And yeah. you mentioned like the nailers of the world, VP, like there's a bunch of young other guys after him, which makes it very, very interesting. A uh, couple more here. Royce Lewis. I think everyone knows Royce Lewis is. Um, everybody in ADP rooms know who he is. An ADP of around 40-ish, give or take. And obviously battled injuries forever. But in the second half, we, we know that monster 11 home runs in the second half, 295 average. We know the push was a grand slam. I felt like every day from Royce Lewis. Uh, how are you, Royce Lewis? Price too rich for your likings? Or are you cool with what we're seeing from Royce Lewis? Yeah, I was uh, I was absolutely flabbergasted when I saw what his price was, and mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. Um, I understand that people pay more attention in the playoffs, and I know he had just crazy amount of home runs and RBIs in the second half. But uh, ultimately, this is a guy that's dealt with two torn ACL muscles or ACL tendons. He he had a hamstring that affected him last year. He had an oblique. I mean, he's just had countless injuries and you can't, you can't win your league in the first few rounds, but you can set yourself back. Um, so for me, this is just way too much injury risk for me. And yeah, like I said, I was surprised to see that he was going that high because I figured if he was going this high, he would have an elite crazy elite barrel rate or, you know, some, some underlying metrics in a 12% barrel rate. It's very good, but it's not like it's a, you know, 18% barrel rate where people could just hope for 40 home runs. Um, maybe he could get a 40 home run pace, but I think durability, I'm going to give this guy a, a D to a D minus durability grade. Yeah, that's, he's the Byron Buxton disease all yep. over again. It's a, it's a shame because the talent is ridiculous when he's out there. Bryson Stott. This is one in, when we did the positional recaps, me and Bloomfield, and it really stood out to me like, wow, I did not notice it was this good with <laughs> Bryson Stott. Uh, over 30 steals on the season in the second half, you know, the average is down 53 from 301, but eight, eight homers, 15 steals. The overall, the season was great for Bryson Stott and ADP is 103. And I guess that's the biggest question here. He actually probably produced overall better in the first half, but the total season was good and you're paying for it ADP wise at 103. So I want to get your thoughts on Bryson Stott and that, that price tag. Yeah. Stott was actually a guy that I had on a lot of teams last year, just because I felt like he was, very solid at everything. The only thing that he wasn't necessarily proven in was power. 
Um, and I saw enough out of him where he would be able to provide that. Uh, but even just looking at his prospect card on fan graphs, I mean, he's a 50 at everything except game power. And that's a 45 future value. So this guy can basically provide five categories across the board. Last year, he was dual eligible. Um, and going into next year, I think he's he's a guy where you can get, you know, 14, 15 home runs and, and 25 steals. So um, he's not a guy that's going to fly up the board with a big name, but I think he's a, a profit center. Yeah, I think um, that middle infield potentially mentioned second base and everything could come into to uh, fruition with Bryce about to make your teams much more uh, balanced and beneficial in the end. Jake Berger is a great one. I've always been a Berger <laughs> fan, and to see it actually pan out in Miami was just oh so great because of just all the mess that is the Chicago White Sox. Uh, in the second half of the season, primarily with Miami, but the whole second half, Berger hit 279 with 15 home runs. He had uh, 34 home runs on the season, Berger, which is outstanding to see. ADP of almost 170 right now. So what are your thoughts when you look at uh, Jake Berger this year, especially at that price tag? And you mentioned um, a position he's at third base where he's going later than most. Yeah, I I knew he would go cheap uh, just because he's not a big name or anything. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, again, he's another one of those players where people see the name, they're not too excited about it. Among qualified hitters, he was third in the major leagues in barrel rate, 17% barrels. He's going to be in the three or four hole for Miami. So he's a potential 30 home run guy where you can just get him in, you know, what the 14th, 15th round. And he's not sexy, but it's home runs and 50% pull rate with 17% barrel rate. He's going to be able to crank him again, I think, next year. Yeah, I'm feeling that as well. I'm pretty, pretty pumped. He did it in that ballpark, which just stands out in a big, big way. Uh, Two more here. Kerry Carpenter of the Detroit Tigers. ADP of between 190 and 100 depends on where you go. Um, you know, had some injuries early on, but really shined in the second half of the year, hitting 287 with 12 home runs and he threw in six stolen bases. So when you look at a guy like Kerry Carpenter, especially that ADP, you mentioned outfielders going later. It's almost a 200 ADP there. What are your thoughts on Kerry Carpenter? So, so kind of again with uh, with Jake Berger, whenever these guys just don't really have that excitement factor, it's they're going to be they're going to be much more bargains. Um, and Carpenter's a guy where he he was a he was kind of a he was a 19th round draft pick, really was a no name prospect for a long time, and then in 2022 had a three level season where he went to Double A, Triple A, and then progressed to make a nice major league debut in 2022, and he literally continued it on this year. I think you're getting a 270 average with 20 home run pace, so you're getting average and power this late in the draft. And he even plays against lefties because he's a very just professional hitter. Um, so, yeah, he's a guy I'm, I'm a big fan of. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that one. I, li- I like what we're seeing with Carpenter. Uh, I've, I've talked about it a lot last year. I like what we Detroit in general. I think there's some fun there, some value to be had yeah. in the fantasy world. So I, I'm all about that. The last one I'll mention that many saw in the World Series and the whole postseason is one Evan Carter because his entire season took place in the second half of the year. He hit 306 with five home runs, three stolen bases. We saw gains even in the postseason. His ADP is only 150. Honestly thought it'd be a lot higher than that. So uh, <laughs> what's your thoughts when you look at a guy like Evan Carter? Yeah, so with Carter, you're getting really plus everything from team context. He's on a World Series, elite offense. He's got 
80 grade makeup from what I can understand. Um, and he's a, a hell of a fielder going to be able to steal some bags for you and has a pretty good hit tool and an, an amazing on base percentage percentage. But as far as where that power shows up, um, it's hard to take anything from his major league sample. Um, and it seems to me like drafters are just automatically putting him into that 2025 home run area, which may be fair, may not be fair. Cause Bubba, I kind of viewed him as like a Brandon Nemo with more steals. Um, fair. So it seems like his ceiling is well beyond that. And I think he's going to have more helium, like you basically said. Um, and I just don't know where to put that power. If you can bank him for 15 to 18 home runs, um, you might be able to get him, but I think, I think he's going to be a helium guy. Like you said. Yeah. That's where I'm kind of torn on him. Like the talent looks great. You know, everyone's talking about Wyatt Lankford coming up at some point in time. So it's like, where does it all go? I guess is my question when, when it all is said and done. All right. We wrapped up all our list of players there. I got two listener questions for you before I let you go. Cause you've been very gracious with your time here. Our buddy Ben Tid. He asks, as someone who's considering signing up for the new NFPC Champions League qualifier, but is hesitant because he's never done an auction before, what's the biggest difference in your prep from a snake draft versus an auction draft? I think it's a great question. That is a good question. Um, you know, if you've done your prep for the snake draft, um, you've gotten yourself a head start, but they're really two completely different entities. Um, and I'm sure Ben's thought a lot about that and that's why he's asking the question, but there, you really need to view it as two completely different things. So, um, I actually wrote up an auction primer on my website from last year and that's kind of like just all evergreen content that you can just read and it will apply. I did stuff for deep league, shallow leagues. So I think just kind of getting your strategy in place, um, and having pivot points. Cause I know Ben's a map your draft out kind of guy. So he'll be able to do that for an auction, which that's probably one of the similarities, which is huge. You need to be able to map out, I think, to do really good. Um, having your specific targets, I think, is another really crucial thing. I learned that from Brody Johns, where he had four or five guys at first base, four or five guys at second base. And that way he's never stuck where, oh, crap, you know, this guy went off the board. I don't know who I want next. If you have as many options as possible, uh, certainly. Uh, a huge, huge asset to have in your back pocket, but um, there's just so many differences. They're just kind of two different entities, I guess is the way I would summarize it up. Yeah, I, I, that's the conundrum. That's why we're having conversations on auction versus drafts, which is very, very, very interesting to me. But yeah, check out the articles that Lucas has put out there. I'm, I'm going to go check them out myself. Uh, and then Kelly Kirby asks, how much less are you spending on only hitting Otani? Yeah, it's another good question. Um, yep. I had I had a few Otani shares last year, um, just because you're getting a forty twenty guy. It, you know, utility clog things up, but I think if you're a good drafter, you can draft enough multi position eligibility guys where you can mitigate that loss. Um, and I planned on using him as a two start pitcher when those two starts came, and there was only a couple, um, or on a four or a three day week or weekend coming out of the all-star break and into the opening season. So you basically have to just factor him as a, as a hitter only with the risk that he doesn't start the season on time or has injury related interruptions, which for me being a completely risk, non-risk type of drafter, 
Um, I would need to see him just raking in spring training. I would need to see excellent um, comments from the manager that he's on set. He's on stage to start opening day because these teams aren't going to give two crafts about your fantasy team to start him on time. They want to make sure his health is the priority number one. And if he signs a $500 million, $700 million contract, they want him right 10 years down the line plus. So I think they could potentially be cautious with him. Now they may say, let's get our money's worth. Let's let him rip. But they're going to err on the side of caution. And so am I. And I'm going to fade him until I see good news. Um, even in that early second round, I don't even really like that right now. Yeah, I think that's – I honestly don't know what – I'm not the expert on any of that kind of stuff. But I know I've been uh, very torn on I, – I'm usually anti-Otani to begin with because I don't know what to do with him. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so you, you start throwing – now he's hitter only, and I agree with you. Like I said, whatever contract he's going to get, there's going to be a chance for an opt-out next year. There's going to be so many moving pieces in that contract yeah. um, that it's – like the team that gets him is going to probably get him for cheap year one prove it you're doing your hell and can pitch and then we move on from there type thing that's why i see so much of taking place on this maybe i'm overthinking it or whatever but that's kind of the way i see it i'm like this is going to be a different beast type scenario that we haven't really seen when it comes to building out um those type of situations so i guess we'll see but um it's a good question because i am very curious as uh now i think we all are on how that'll that'll pencil out but um yeah it'll be quite quite interesting all right, my friend, that'll wrap us up. Any final thoughts as we covered a lot of ground here and I appreciate your time. My, my final thoughts are if you have any remote interest in getting into an auction, just go ahead and do it. Um, my first auction, my plan sucked and I was horrible and I was lucky to finish in like seventh or eighth place many years ago when I first did it. And I knew my screw ups. I was like, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not. Gonna. And then every year I just tried to make less mistakes and, it's going to be obvious what you messed up and how you can improve. And you monitor other guys in the room. You're like, Oh, he did a good job by, you know, when everyone only had $1, he had like 10 extra dollars to spend on like six guys. So he could go $2 on a few of them. So it's not rocket science. It's just a different way to allocate assets towards fantasy baseball. And I highly recommend people to jump into it because most everyone I've talked to, that's an auction player. Um, from a Jake Hallisker to Toby to Rob D almost all of them say this is their favorite format gives you a chance at every player in the player pool. And in my mind, that makes it more fair. Yeah. And I'm with you. That's one thing I've, I've heard as well. That's what's kind of intrigued me to do it is I kind of want to, I like that idea of, Hey, it's a, it's, it's a big, like you said, you get your guys, you have a chance that you're not at mercy of, you know, the, the snake draft, like we were talking about earlier, it's a great way to do it. And then once the draft's over, obviously it's a learning curve to do it. And that's why I've asked you questions and other people questions is in the, in the end, after the draft's done, now you're playing Roto, like you play any other time. Yes. And now yes. you're doing your fab. And so after the draft, it's the same league you play any other time. That's another, yes. seems very simple, but I think some people might even overthink that. Honestly, it's like, yes. it's, they think the whole league's different and all it is is, when you draft is different other than that, that's it game on game on it's the same we all <laughs> play and that's why i'm very intrigued with it i know everyone's price points are different but like this online it's a 150 uh, that's in my like i'm willing to take a few chances on that there's going to be other cheap formats um you know i'm probably speaking at school here but there's enough interest i know the people at npc are very friendly they do other leagues for other podcasts 
Maybe I can get us like some $50 Bubba, bench with Bubba or Bubba Moon auction leagues, like 12 team leagues just for fun. Standalone leagues outside of just if you want to get your toes in the water and play, we, we can have some fun with that. Cause I think uh, I won't speak for you, but from everything I've heard from everybody else, the NFBC auction uh, platform, drafting platform software is phenomenal. So, yes. and I'll ask, it's and what I asked I've you before is, are none. Yeah. And how long did your draft take? I want to say it took less than three hours. Which is amazing, which is outstanding yeah. for an auction, folks. <laughs> yeah, it was because I'm just trying to kind of think through here. It's been about, what, seven, eight months since then. But I want to say that you do, I want to say that you do a break like every eight or nine rounds. So you do like a break after like the first eight, then you do a break after the 16th round. And then I think once the reserve rounds are about to start after you're 23 or on your team, then you do another break. So it's like five minute breaks. And uh, Derek from NFPC, he was like, all right, breaks over, boys. Let's get it rolling. Like, he's he's churning this yeah. this thing out. So Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, because I remember I've done, like, a fan tracks one back in the day, and it was, like, f- almost six hours. And I'm like, I can't do this. Oh, wow. Like, I have a daughter. I have other things. I'm like, I can't. This is not going <laughs> to work for me. So, like, that's, like, my, been my biggest concern. But when I hear three hours, heck, we do snake drafts that are two and a half or three hours. Like, that's yeah. just the, the nature of the beast. That's without breaks. So, um, yeah, that's very intriguing to me. Last question, I guess I have for you. I should have asked you earlier. Uh, you know, we do KDS for snake drafts. Mm-hmm. How do you set where you're going to throw out picks and do you have a preference on where you are to throw out picks? Um, so, so that really does not factor in whatsoever, really. Okay. Except cool. for the reserve rounds. Yes. Because if you're the 15th guy, then you get that first pick in the reserve round. And there's been, it's not every draft, it's not every draft, but there's some drafts where it's a guy that, holy crap, how do we forget about him? And he's just sitting there in reserves. So that happens sometimes. Okay, good to know. There we go. All right, on that note, we'll wrap it up. If you guys want more information, go check out uh, dcdynasty.co on the internet that Lucas has. And go check him on Twitter at LucasBeery, B-I-E-R-Y. 33 on the Twitter or X as some cool kids call it. <laughs> but as always, Lucas, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 611 with Lucas Beery. Catch you up here.